Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown, our match day recap. We're nearing the end of the season now. Match day 32 is almost complete and here we are to discuss it. I'm Sam Leveridge and I'm joined by Rory Barley. How are you doing, Rory? Yeah, it was a fun weekend. Um, I'm not too good, uh, not too bad even. I was going to say I'm not too good after Real Madrid's comeback, but uh, the fun was all at the bottom for me this weekend. Uh, there was no Barcelona match, obviously, until Monday night when they played Cadiz. So I was enjoying the relegation battle quite a bit this week. Yeah, there was plenty to discuss in the, the relegation fight and some big results as well. But there was also plenty of action up at the top, starting with that Real Madrid-Sevilla game that you mentioned. And so we were joined by by Haz from the La Liga Lowdown group. But let's just listen in to one of the iconic moments of the season as Karim Benzema scored the injury time in a Real Madrid at the Sanchez Heath one. No, no, no. 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 Marca Karim, lo dijo González, marcó el Madrid, marcó Messier, jugada espectacular de Rodrigo, se va a línea de fondo, se la va Messier y Messier no se pone nervioso, Messier no corre el tiempo. And now we're joined. By Hassan Karim, our resident Madridista, who had a real roller coaster of emotions through that game on the La Liga Lowdown WhatsApp group. Has how are you feeling? Well, yeah, I think if that that chat stream came out, I'd definitely get cancelled. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was a roller coaster of emotions to say the least. Um, painful for those opening sort of twenty to thirty minutes, um, but yeah, they grew into the game, and it was. It was just wild to say the least. I mean, across the Chelsea game in this, I feel like I've aged about 15 years at this point. Yeah, it was a hell of a game. Um, that's fair to say. And uh, even though I think the uh, non-Madrid fans in the group might have been a little less happy with the result, it was an entertaining watch. Part of that was obviously down to the fact that Real Madrid went 2-0 down in the first half and they looked not great, to be honest, until half time. You've had your uh, criticisms of Ancelotti, to say the least. That, again, might get you cancelled um, if you were to reveal all of them. But what did he get wrong in the first half and why were Real Madrid 2-0 down, essentially? Yeah, what went wrong initially? 
Uh, I don't even know if you can necessarily blame Carlo for this one, really. I mean, the team's obviously still probably suffering some sort of hangover from that Chelsea game again. Uh, the the absence of Casemiro was quite clear. Uh, I felt I, I feel like Camavinga obviously still lacks the experience to sort of control these kind of games in that position and shows sort of his rashness in those moments. I mean, I know Casemiro can be rash as well, but in a more controlled sense at times. Um, and of course, then Danny Carval being at left back, which was a bit unorthodox. But again, there was not much else options, to be honest. Um, so uh, he looked a bit tentative to go forward and stuff like that. So that kind of limited us um, for the most of that first half until he kind of grew in confidence to be able to do you know, anything going forward from that position. Um, but I mean, the two goals we conceded, I mean, the first was you know, a well-worked free kick. Uh, not Still not sure what Militao was doing in the wall. Um, and why he was shouting at Modric afterwards, that's that should be a sin by all religions, to be honest. You should never be able to shout at Luka Modric. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what, that was go- what was going on there. And then in the lead up to the second goal as well, like Militao again just seemed to kind of go walkies and disappear. Um, so it was just kind of individual mistakes. But again, uh, it's, it was more down to, I think, just general fatigue more than anything. That Militao moment was possibly my favourite Real Madrid moment of the season, just for the pure, pure comedy effect of it. <laughs> I, I was going to say, has must be in a good mood because I was fully expecting the sort of uh, Ancelotti barrage of why he must go um, there. But I'll stand by that. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on to sort of the second half, obviously Rodrigo came on. There was a big impact, and Camavinga perhaps lucky not to go off in the first half, as you mentioned his kind of inexperience there. But Real Madrid did react, as we saw, kind of in midweek in the Champions League. Do you give Carlo credit for kind of the changes he made or was this kind of more just down to Real Madrid being Real Madrid and they have that mentality when they're when they're down and out? Yeah, I think it's a combination of all those things in all honesty. Um, I mean, Rodrigo coming on was was really big because he brings, you know, a, a really good work rate, which, uh, you know, I've been commending of him all season, but he always lacked the end product, which we've seen in the last couple of games. He's beginning to, to showcase that he can get on the end of things and actually score as well. Um, you know, I think sort of going to a more traditional midfield three with um, Cruz Modric and Fede Valverde definitely helped us just to get a bit more control of the game. Having a bit more of a traditional winger outside with uh, Rodrigo as well just kind of helped us to structure a bit better and sort of, you know, bring sequences together a bit cleaner. Um, so, yeah, definitely. And then I think, even you know, despite all the, the sort of uh, criticisms that I fire at Carlo, he is a very calm figure. And I can imagine that, you know, in these kind of scenarios, his sort of, coolness in that situation probably allows the team just to come down a bit and sort of think okay here's what we've done wrong here's what we can do to go forward and sort of turn this around but I mean you know we've seen it time and time again this season when the backs against the wall Madrid always just come out swinging um, and when you've got you know individual quality like Vinicius like Benzema like Modric there you know it's it's always turn you know something you can turn around and obviously towards the end Karim Benzema I, th- I think it was fitting that he came up with the sort of Final moment, he he pulled that move off uh, three, four times in the match where sort of he the ball sort of got to the byline. It was cut back to him and, and he was kind of in space. But obviously euphoric scenes for yourself, euphoric scenes for, for Real Madrid kind of on the pitch. This kind of looks like La Liga sealed, uh, sealed for me. I, I want to get your thoughts on that, but generally just kind of describe what it was like to, to watch Benzema do that. Yeah, I mean the, the commentary actually sort of said it uh, said it best. Like as you mentioned, he's done it so many times, not just in this game, but through the season as well. Where he sort of 
gets the ball, chips it out wide, and then sort of goes into the middle undetected. And it's like, how has no one figured that out yet? Sort of thing. And he seems to always pull it off. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's been fitting for his entire campaign that he's the man that's spearheaded us through into that final bit that we needed. And, and you know, I think that's probably, I think it's easily over, either 40 contributions or just over 40 goal contributions from this season. So head and shoulders best player in the world for me right now. Um, but in terms of it, you know, wrapping up the league, I, I think it does more or less now. I think had we obviously come away with anything other than a win here, then obviously Sevilla had a, a slight sniff of a chance, not a clean one, but I think he would have just left it sort of a bit hanging in the air. So I, I think that definitely puts it to bed that it's just a case of when now. The Benzema Ballon d'Or? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Still a long way left to go in the season. See what happens in the Champions League, I guess. <laughs> Any other questions from you, Rory, for, for our happy Madridista? No, no, just to say tune in at the end of the season for the podcast where Haz sort of sits as a sort of like defendant in a case as we all sort of throw accusations of other players at him that should be winning the Ballon d'Or and uh, he stands up for Benzema. But uh, yeah, that's all from me. Thanks very much for joining us, Haz. Thank you. Yeah, I think we have to dig out the, the pre-recording clip where you spoke about Mbappé and the baguette league, but we'll keep that between <laughs> us for now. I'm going to get cancelled. <laughs> so we heard from Haz there about Real Madrid-Sevilla and the title race, and the only team really with any chance of doing that is and competing for that is Barcelona, but I think that's going to be a tough task, and we'll find out on Monday when they play Cadiz. Looking then to the rest of the top four, and it was match day 28 when I said to, to Matt that I thought that Sevilla might actually be the team to drop out of the top four. Now we have Sevilla, Atleti, both on 60 points, and Real Sociedad and Betis just behind them. Ruri, what did you make of, of the top four race this weekend? Because Real Sociedad welcomed Betis. It was a nil-nil draw on Friday night, and then Atleti scored a 100-minute winner against Espanyol. I mean... What did you make the, the three teams in that race and how they played at the weekend? Yeah, well, I'll come to you sort of on Real, Bet Real Betis at Real Sociedad because you were obviously at the game. Um, but I thought it was quite a big missed opportunity, especially for Betis. I think if they get a win there, they really they would have been a point off Sevilla, which, <laughs> which would have uh, really sort of made them sweat, I think, a bit in the Ramon Sanchez piece one. And I think it... If Sevilla do drop out the top four, that's a total disaster for them. They've won five of their last 14 matches in La Liga. That's in 2022. There's only one team that's won less in the top half of La Liga uh, uh, sort of in 2022. And that kind of just shows that although Sevilla haven't been losing lots of games, they've not been winning them either. I know that's a very sort of basic thing to say and, and very logical, but... They haven't been dominating teams. They haven't been overcoming teams in matches for quite a while now. And it's got to the point where it's starting to show in the results. I think during the first half of the season, okay, they, they were getting through those matches, but it wasn't by much and they just had the edge. But having lost sort of the, the goal-scoring knack, I think Ocampos isn't contributing as much. Obviously, Ennisidi and Rafa Mir have been pretty dry in terms of goals. That's really punishing them. But... Um, Coming on to sort of another striker who's been dry for goals, Alexander Isak was uh, an object of your frustration on Friday night as he failed to put Real Sociedad in the lead, wasn't he, Sam? Yeah, we well, had so many chances and you know, I was sat there trying to rack my brains thinking what he was playing like. And I think I realised 
that when Isaac is like that, he's like a giraffe in a horse race, which is a bit <laughs> abstract. But his legs just seem to move faster than his brain can quite handle. And he's one of those kinds of lanky, not necessarily in a negative way, but kind of very long, spindly legs. <laughs> Mm -hmm. the mental image is just he looks like a giraffe because you see his legs moving and he's so quick and he's got quite good technique but then you see him just end up in these final positions and he doesn't seem to know what to do with the ball and he's just completely lost and he's such a confidence player i mean we've seen before that he goes on incredible goal scoring runs but then when he goes on a goal rut it's really really bad and that was what affected Real Sociedad on friday night i mean they had plenty of chances and they could have done it and and again, it was a very frustrating game to watch because Betis were kind of time-wasting and, and almost happy to take the draw. And, and it was just bizarre, given that they could have moved so close to Sevilla, as you say, but it was just an all-round slightly strange game. I mean, David Silva sent off a descent at the end. I mean, David Silva, the, the biggest gentleman in football, most people seem to think. And <laughs> he got sent off a descent, which, I mean, he's, he's supposed to have said something not very nice to the referee, but it's not so extreme that you wouldn't imagine that he's the only person to have said that to a referee this weekend. So it's just an, an all-round weird game. And then Atleti kind of showed the cutting edge that that neither Real Sociedad nor Betty showed. I mean, that 100th minute winner from Yannick Carrasco from the penalty spot was was perhaps fortunate to, to get that penalty, but only as fortunate as they had been unfortunate to see Kondogbia sent off, which for me was one of the weirdest refereeing decisions in quite a while. So I feel like Atleti kind of come out of this pretty much where they were. I mean, I think they have the kind of experience and the the knowledge that they're confident they can grind out these results. And that's just what they did against Espanyol. Yeah, I think Atleti, they, they weren't sort of vintage. They weren't brilliant, but they did deserve the three points. And I think it would have been very unjust on them. Had they, had they dropped points, not only, I mean, you can argue the free kick, but for, for anyone who didn't see it, there's a shot um, and it, it deflects off a defender behind Kondogbia. Kondogbia slid in to try and block it, deflects off that defender and onto his arm. Kondogbia then gets a second yellow um, in possibly the harshest thing before Jan Oblak then throws the ball in his own net um, in a free <laughs> kick. Um, it's a joy to watch with the Atleti fans. <laughs> I, can, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Uh, just going back to that David Silva thing uh, quickly, that's his first red card in 12 years. I genuinely just wonder if he wanted the feeling of being sent off again. Like, I wonder if he was sort of aware that he was losing control. And he was just like, you know what? Beep it. Um, I've been um, calm for the last 12 years of my career yes. and I'm going to get sent off here and I don't care. Um <laughs> I was yeah. looking up the stat of his last red card and some of the stats websites don't go back that far. It was that long ago. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it was a bit bizarre to see that. But I think, yeah, for me, Betis aren't the big losers, but I think Betis, having got that draw on the Friday night, they will be looking at that and thinking, yeah, we, we could have been really sort of in with a shout. Now, I think it's a little bit more difficult for them, but obviously all eyes are on the cup final. And if they do win that, I don't think anybody will care too much about that sort of uh, drop points there um, or, or even missing out on the top four I'd have to say Yeah exactly they've got Elche midweek and then they'll play Valencia in the Copa del Rey final next weekend Valencia of course beaten by Osasuna this weekend and that kind of puts Osasuna some Osasuna fans were starting to talk about faint 
hopes of Europe. Do you think that's possible, Rui? I mean, they're currently you know, five points behind Villarreal, Champions League semi-finalists Villarreal, who also beat Hetafe this weekend. I mean, there is the potential for a European spot to open up in seventh place if Betis qualify through the league position and win the Copa. Do you think that Osasuna or Athletic even, I mean, they fell to a defeat to Celta Vigo this weekend, but do you think one of those teams could pick that up? I mean, there's a there's a five-point gap to Villarreal and there's a four-point gap to Athletic, from Athletic to Villarreal. Um, for both of those teams, both Basque sides who, on their day, you can see why they're so difficult to beat. And when they're functioning well, you look at the defences of both sides and the Garcias for Osasuna, Inigo Martinez and Geray and even Danny Vivian for, for Athletic Club. When they put together a run of form and when they're at their best, I, I think for, for any team in La Liga, they're a challenge. But throughout this season, I mean, you saw it kind of with Athletic's loss to Celta Vigo today, on any given day, they can turn up and just not be at the races. And for one reason or another, neither Arasate, I think, I mean, Arasate's doing a good job, but Osasuna should are delighted with where they are. But neither Arasate or Marcelino has managed to managed to find a method of making sure that their team week in, week out is the exact same as it is. Um, sort of going yeah, between match days. And I think that's the reason that Villarreal ultimately, although they are incredibly inconsistent in La Liga and it wouldn't surprise me if they went on to drop more and more points, they probably do have the edge just because of their quality, to be honest. Um, yeah, exactly. I think they've got an interesting run of games coming up now. I mean, Gerard Moreno went off injured against Atafe, which is obviously a huge blow for them. And then they've got the Liverpool semi-final. I mean, if they do opt to rotate, I mean, Alaves fighting for their lives, that's the game they have in between the two legs. Maybe there is potential for more dropped points. And and even after that, I mean, the Villarreal then plays the Villarreal, Sociedad and Barcelona in three of their last four games. So, I mean, I think there is a chance for Athletic and for, for Osasuna. But at this point, I think... Villarreal will be quite confident they've got one hand on, on seventh. So let's move on then. Let's head to a quick break before we come back and discuss the relegation battle, which is where all the excitement is really this weekend. We had lots of goals, lots of drama. So stay tuned and join us shortly as we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back to our Match Day 32 recap. Now we're into the second half, so let's move on to the bottom half of La Liga. And that's where all the action has been this weekend. And let's start off with perhaps the most surprising result down at the bottom this weekend, which was Elche 3, Mallorca 0. Rui, I mean, Mallorca against Atleti last weekend were incredibly defensively solid, grinding out a result. This weekend, they've gone to an easier tie in theory against Elche and been torn apart. What did you make of, of this one? Yeah, I think this was ultimately more, more well, obviously more worrying, especially when you're against a rival that, okay, Elche had a bit of a gap, but they could have probably just about been dragged into it. Now they're on 35 points. They're, they're seven clear of Cadiz, um, even though they have a game in hand. I'm probably just about safe. Yeah, just dealing with them, first of all, I think, Francisco, we were all a bit sceptical when he came in, but what he's managed to do with them, it's been pretty good. And they're not perfect. They're they're not a team that, just because of where they are and their squad, they're ne- never going to be perfect. But they do have a fight and they have a momentum and, and a drive at home that I think that unsettles and scares teams. And I think that that was the case against Mallorca this week. From Mallorca's point of view, I think, Aguirre was brought in to make them solid. And in his first two matches, you did see that against Atafe. Yeah, OK, they lost narrowly 1-0. Um, and then against Atleti, they managed to, to score the score a penalty and get a 1-0 victory. But you saw sort of a clear Aguirre stamp. This time, they just couldn't carry out their game plan. And that is probably most worrying against a team where I, I think they could have been expecting at least a point if you maybe lose the game. Um, and you lose it narrowly, you can sort of move on to the next week and, and be reinforced. But the manner in which they went down, the manner in which Elche created chances pretty easily, because Sergio Rico made some good saves as well. Um, I mean, I know he um, had a less less than auspicious moment in the on the second goal for uh, for Elche, but but yeah, this was a, a pretty worrying one. And for all the talent that they have, and for all the kind of useful players that I think Mallorca have, they have also sort of brought in Aguirre to, to firefight for them. And it is quite a dramatic departure from what Luis Gatia Plaza had sort of going on in terms of what he tried to do. So you're not leaving yourself a lot of margin for error when you're, you're trying to change the style of a team so radically. Um, and so, yeah, worrying for Mallorca, I think. I mean, they're point clear now. If Caddy were to pick up points at camp now, they would slide into the relegation zone. Um, but they're, they're certainly on the precipice of going down right now. 
Yeah, I mean, this result really does give hope to the teams at the bottom. I mean, Cali play Barcelona on Monday night, as you said. That's going to be a difficult one to get anything from. And then that leaves Levante, who got a 4-1 win over Granada, and we'll hear a bit more about that from Paco Pollitt shortly. And the other game was Alaves against Rayo Vallecano. I mean, I was at Mendizarroza for this one. I think the scoreline perhaps flatters Alaves. I mean, they really weren't that good. Um, obviously, getting the three points, but sitting there watching, I didn't feel any more optimistic about their chances of survival under Julio Velázquez. <laughs> but should we be a little bit worried about Rayo? I mean, this was an unfortunate defeat. I mean, José Lu's shot was kind of like Oblak and Raul Thomas's free kick, he kind of palmed it, stole Dimitrievski, kind of palmed it into his own net. But I mean, they haven't won in 2022, which is a pretty remarkable stat. And given that they were kind of chasing Europe at the winter break, I mean, they're now only six points clear of the bottom three. And they still play a few of these teams down at the bottom in the next few weeks. I mean, could they be dragged into it? They definitely could be. Um, they've got, as you say, sir, Hatafe, um, Villarreal, then Mallorca and Levante are their last four fixtures. So it's if they if they don't pick up points, so they've got Espanyol next, Barcelona, then Real Sociedad. So if they don't pick up points in those three, then yeah, I, th- I think it could go down to the wire for them. As you say, I, I was disappointed in Rio this weekend because I really thought that this was an opportunity to go and pick up points. As you say, Alaves weren't that impressive and it's kind of hosselu and living on a prayer. I mean, that, that's what it is for Alaves. Um, and I think Rayo probably did just enough. I think they did enough for a point and maybe did enough for a little bit more. And I thought that they were going to get that. I do think they've been playing better in recent weeks. I think February, maybe early March, they had a dip to the point where they weren't playing well and they were deservedly losing matches. More recently, they've picked up a couple of draws. They've been impressive against some of the bigger sides. And I think that shows that they've kind of got back on track. But ultimately, if you are going to make those mistakes and if you don't take your opportunities, then you do drop points and you end up in the situation they are now. I don't know how you kind of saw it from Mendy Sorota. Yeah, I think the main thing with Rayo is as well, I mean, Falcao has been struggling with his, his fitness and early on he was the guy who was kind of converting a lot of those chances. And looking at those teams down at the bottom, I mean, Alaves have got Jose Levante have got Jose Luis Morales. Even Calita got kind of Alvaro and Negredo, I mean, proven goal scorers. And Mayuka brought in Moriki, who's done a pretty good job. Granada have kind of Luis Suarez, they had a couple of good players. But Rayo just don't have that goal score. I mean, Sergi Guardiola isn't. I mean, Sergi Guardiola got relegated last season from La Liga as the leading. Yeah, yeah, big forwards. chance as well. Yeah, and he's in the same situation again with Rayo this season if they do end up kind of being drawn into that relegation battle. And you just feel like Rayo need that that number nine. And I mean, it's not a great time to be at Rayo. The, the women's team got relegated after 11 years, I think it was, in the top flight this weekend. And and you just wonder if this mismanagement, which was kind of covered up by how the team was performing early on in the season, is being highlighted now that their options in attack are abysmal. I mean, Randy and Teca, for me, isn't a Primera player. Uh, Mamadou Sia is the guy they signed on loan and deadline day from Alaves and he couldn't get <laughs> minutes for Alaves, which I think <laughs> says it all. So, I mean, it's really not a great situation for Rayo to be in, but but their fans are fantastic. So, I mean, they'll be hoping that at least they can grind out a couple of results at home. So let's take a look then at Levante. I mean, Levante are 
doing all they can to catch up. I think they've got more wins in the last nine than in the first 23. So let's hear from Paco and let's hear a little bit of the, the drama from Jose Luis Morales as he gave Levante a 2-0 lead against Granada in their eventual 4-1 win. Pues ahí le va a pegar el comandante Morales, 54 de partido, casi 10 ya de la segunda, 11 metros de por medio, solo dos protagonistas, Morales y Luis Maximiano, 11 metros, balón de por medio, le pega Morales, gol, 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 gol del Levante, gol, 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 gol de Morales, gol del equipo que sigue soñando. Escondió la pelota, le amagó el disparo a Luis Maximiano. Bienvenidos to Paco Polic, who is a very happy Paco Polic today after Levante beat Granada 4-1. Um, quite the sort of game for uh, Levante, getting an away win, um, one of their rare away wins, and also moving themselves within four points of the safety. Paco, what was this game like for Levante and the strong Levante traveling contingent too? Yes, I am, Mr. Barlow, obviously, because um, I'm not used to Levante actually doing their job uh, whenever they go on the road. Um, but yeah, the, the, the game was just the, the perfect example of um, a day where everything goes south for the home team, in this case, Granada. And when, uh, you know, where crucial moments of the game just went in Levante's favor. We're talking about that pen, uh, which was uh, checked by the VAR. Um, Morales was uh, brought down inside the box by Germán. At the same time, it was a second yellow for Germán, was sent off. Levante got the second goal at that point. And uh, later, obviously, it was going to be much easier for them. But overall, I think that Levante were far superior in the first half. They had many chances to score more than one goal, but... They went to the to the halftime only when with one goal advantage, and in the second one they were just uh, super efficient on the on the breaks. And with Jose Luis Morales once again delivering a, a masterpiece of a of a game, one goal, two assists, and he was absolutely unstoppable for Granada's defense. So uh, I would say that Levante only were a bit uh, weaker at the end of the game. They allowed one goal, which, by the way, meant that Granada would win uh, in an eventual draw, in an eventual tie, the, the average. But, uh, yeah, with Soldado scoring the fourth one, once again, uh, things were balanced and, and were leveled. So, Levante not only got the three points, but at the same time, they delivered quite a big blow to Granada. The end of the game, where uh, we saw many scenes of Granada fans uh, actually jeering at the at the executive lounge, they were chanting against the, the board. And that's why the, the dynamic in Granada is very, very bad at this point. Whereas for Levante, they seem to be, you know, slowly resurrecting and, and winning games and picking themselves up. And they had already chances against Barca. They couldn't finish the job. But against Granada, they delivered possibly their best performance of the season away from Ciudad de Valencia. And a few words for José Luis Morales, el comandante. Unas palabras, Paco. Wax lyrical. <laughs> uh, spectacular. He was he was just uh, you know at this point of the of the season I believe that uh, he's carrying himself on his own the whole team. You know he at this point he's carrying Levante away into fighting for for avoiding relegation and if Levante eventually managed to perform such a miracle 
everything everyone should look at morales as the as the main uh you know the main miracle man for for what they are doing um his late run of games has been very impressive against barca he was awesome against Villarreal with those two goals i think that he's uh, you know he had a first half of the season quite disappointing because i think he wasn't uh, fully fit, you know, 100% in form, but uh, in the last six, seven games, uh, the old school Morales is back. And, and we've seen that Levante are trying to take advantage of all of his um, uh, strong points, of, of, of all of his, you know, uh, speed, uh, ability with the ball, uh, taking one-on-ones, winning always. You know, in this game, he was uh, the biggest nightmare ever for both even the three central defenders from from Granada, Victor Diaz, Germán, uh, he he, you know, eventually got Germán sent off because of his of his skills. So I think that at this point he's, uh, as we say in Spain, uh, jugador de culto, no? Those kinds of cult players who uh, remain many many seasons in the same side. He's been in Levante for quite a while, but possibly he's reaching a decade over here. And uh, as I said earlier, if Levante managed to remain in La Liga, Morales is the guy to, to blame for it. I heard something interesting on the commentary there from Premier Sports. They were saying that until sort of Alessio Liski had his sort of future guaranteed by the board for next season, this Levante side didn't seem to be picking up results, but now they seem to have banded together. Firstly, is that something that you see? Um, I know you're very close to Levante, obviously. And secondly, can they? Is it possible? I mean, four points isn't that much anymore, but it says it's only six games. Well, in 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 the first case, I believe that uh, no, nothing is set in stone regarding the the, the following season because it's not the same uh, planning and doing stuff in 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 Primera in La Liga than than doing it in in Segunda in the second division. Uh, regarding Alessio Lisi, I believe he's proving himself with with the last run of games and the results he's picking up. I think that uh, he's been able to. I, I believe it's 17 points under him, whereas for under Paco Lopez and Javier Pereira, Levante had only picked eight. And uh, yeah, I think he has turned things around. At this point, Levante, if you count only the second half of the of the competition, uh, we're talking about a top 10 side. Levante would be just in the middle of the standings if we only had those you know, uh, second half of the of the season games. But, you know, unfortunately, they have to drag the the, the bad results they, they picked up at the beginning of the of the year. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Levante managed to pull off the miracle seeing Alessio Lisi next season in the bench, even though um, Kiko Catalan, who is the president, he has already said that he's going to uh, submit himself to a vote of confidence at the end of the season, uh, something which by the way, seems a bit shady because nobody actually knows how that would be performed. But regardless, we'll we'll know more about that whenever the season ends. Yeah, incredible stuff, really, that Levante even have a possibility, as you say, of saving themselves. But Paco is a very busy man. I'm going to let him get back to some of the sort of few free minutes that he has in the day. I'll throw it back to Sam and the pod. But thank you very much. Muchas gracias, Paco. Un abrazo. Cheers. Thanks, Paco. And thanks, Rory for that one then. So let's move on. We've looked at all of the fixtures. Now it's time to pick our match day MVP, which will be up on Twitter as a poll, as always, on Monday morning. Rory, who's your first candidate for MVP this week? First candidate, straight down the middle, um, Karim Benzema. I mean, as I say, it was kind of fitting 
that he got the goal that perhaps sealed the league title. It felt very momentous. He's the best player in La Liga and he demonstrated that once again today. We've been used to Lionel Messi for so many years coming up with those big moments in sort of key decisive situations when you wonder if things kind of go differently. Maybe Real Madrid do get into trouble. Maybe they drop points and there does come a run, but Benzema comes up for them again in the biggest moment. And his quality is just undeniable. His mentality is, along with kind of Modric, I think it's him and him and Modric that drag them through a lot of these moments, more so than kind of Casemiro or Tony Kroos and, and some of the old, other older heads, along with Courtois as well, actually. But Karim Benzema, yeah. What, what else can you really say about him? He's at that point where superlatives are kind of, there's a paucity of them to describe him. And uh, yeah, fair play to him. He came up with that big moment again today. Big words from a Barcelona fan. Sadly so. <laughs> We're going to go for another match winner this weekend, and that's Yannick Velasco. I think he deserves a nomination just for his his huevos to, to step up and convert that penalty. I mean, I can't think of ever having seen him taken a penalty for Atletico before. And I mean, famously, he didn't want to take a penalty in the shootout in Milan, and, and he wasn't fully fit and... That was kind of the logic behind That was why Juan Fran stepped up and obviously he missed his penalty. This was kind of a big pressure penalty. I mean, the whole context of the top four race, I mean, there's never going to be more pressure on a penalty than that one, knowing it was the last kick of the game as well. I mean, it was a penalty shootout penalty without the penalty shootout. And he kind of came on at halftime and completely changed the game for Atleti. I think it was, it was 11 minutes in to his appearance when he scored the first goal. And then turned up and, and scored that penalty later on. So for me, I mean, Atleti wouldn't have got the win without him on Sunday. And it's such a huge three points. I think he has to be nominated. Definitely. So Rory, he, won the, he won the corner as well for for the penalty. Which would be yeah, which was, was very similar actually to the, the first goal. So, I mean, everything kind of came down him and that left side in that second half. And Atleti just looked much stronger in attack with him there. Go on then, Rory. Who's your, your second choice for MVP? It's obvious. It, I mean, I'm sorry, but he should win. It's Jose Luis Morales. El Comandante was absolutely sensational today. And uh, yeah, talk about somebody dragging you through moments as well. Morales is that player for Levante. And I think he has earned a place amongst sort of the Aspases and the Benzema's of, of this league, the Hosselus, where... It just, just whenever something, a moment of magic is is in need, yeah, he comes up with it. And today he got, I think it was two goals or two goals and assist, and he was just magic. I mean, Granada couldn't deal with him. He got Germain sent off, more or less. He he was instrumental in everything that Levante did. And he so often he takes the right decision as well. I think that's a very underrated sort of um, underrated quality in a lot of forwards where yeah okay people get criticized when they take the wrong decisions but the ability to know exactly when to play the pass the ability to know when to take a run when to sort of uh, come short morales has all of that and in spades and for for me i think he's probably probably the best player in that bottom five along with hosselu and if they do get out he'll be a large part of the reason they do so yeah it was fantastic again i think he has been especially in the last few weeks but all season really for levante um, 
So my final pick then is going to be Gerard Moreno. I mean, he only played 61 minutes, but it was 61 minutes where you could just imagine an alternate universe where Gerard Moreno has been playing fit and featuring every week for Villarreal and then they're challenging for the top four and all sorts because, I mean, he's just such an incredible player. I mean, he got the goal early on, which was superbly taken, then set up the second goal as well for Villarreal. I mean, it just makes such a difference to them as a team when he plays and the injury that he picked up, it looks like a hamstring injury and it looks like he'll probably miss the, the Champions League semi-final against Liverpool. And that is just such a blow for Villarreal. I mean, I don't think they rely on him. I don't think they're a one-man team, which perhaps in the past they could have been accused of being. But he's just showing that he kind of has that impact that he can make a difference. A bit like Messi at Barcelona or Benzema at Real Madrid. They're excellent teams, but you add in that Gerard Moreno factor and they're just an incredible team. I think that's something that Villarreal has that very few teams in Spain, in, in Europe, I mean, in football have. They have a player with that much quality and Gerard Moreno, I mean, let's just hope the next season he can keep his fitness a bit better after a break over the summer. I think the Euros and so on might have been a bit much for him, but he just showed his quality again at Hedafe. So let's wrap it up there. So we've got Gerard Moreno, Jose Luis Morales, Karim Benzema and Yannick Carrasco. And you can take your pick and vote on Monday on our Twitter at La Liga Lowdown. So to wrap us up, Rory, what is your moment of the week? Yeah, I'm going to delve down into Segunda this week, um, which is not something we do too often, um, which I, I mean, just on time constraints, I'm sure people are bored enough of us droning around about La Liga without us getting into Segunda as well. But uh, this one as well, it was the Asturian derby in uh, in Segunda, Real Oviedo against Sporting Gijón. Real Oviedo went to El Molinón, they won 1-0, um, sort of fairly late on with an own goal. At the end of the match, there was a, a fight broke out. So the essentially the Oviedo goalkeeper during the celebrations goes towards the, the sort of Gijon end where the Gijon ultras are, where the Gijon players are, ends up getting into a fight with six or seven Gijon players. At one point, he has his arms held behind his back as somebody, as one of the Gijon players is slapping him. It really is a remarkable scene um, and tests the sort of point of this is too much and uh, this is all the things that we don't like to see but maybe we secretly love to see it was uh, very much on the sort of line of um, is this a little bit much but fair play to Oviedo for getting the win and the celebrations after it there's a there's a video of the square afterwards and it's packed out with Oviedo fans it's big screens and it looks it looks like a world cup fight it looks like a european championship the celebrations are that big and uh yeah, that kind of um, passion, not so much the fight, I guess, but the um, the celebrations in the Segunda División uh, and seeing those teams go, go at it is one of the best sights in Spanish football. So that's my kind of moment of the week. Yeah, and I loved from that, that clip, which obviously isn't a, a good clip at all, but seeing what is it, 55, 56-year-old Kuka Thiganda, the ex-Atlantic manager, you might recognise the name, Come steaming in and kind of fighting off six or seven sporting guys. I mean, these are big kind of mid-20s professional athletes. And this 55-year-old guy just comes steaming in and protects his goalkeeper and fights them all off. And it's pretty impressive. And my moment of the week, as well, is actually going to be from Segunda as well. This weekend was clearly an entertaining <laughs> weekend in Segunda. And it's Paco Hemeth, the former Rayo coach, who is a brilliant guy for, for press conferences and so on. And 
And this weekend, he lost it with a journalist. I mean, Ibiza kind of mid-table, nothing to play for now. Their playoff hopes are, are gone. And they lost to Burgos 2-1 this weekend. And the journalist said, oh, do you have the feeling that your players are on the beach? And he got really, really wound up. And I think at the end of it, he started saying like, oh, I guess you haven't watched the game. You must have been going for a beer or something with your mates. Why didn't you try watching the game? And it was just kind of peak Paco Jemez with his pure look, which looks exactly the same as it did 10 years ago when he was in charge of Rayo Vallecano in Primera. I'm really nervous. And I mean, this is Evita. I mean, Evita have done superbly this season. And and these kind of comments of, are your players on the beach with Evita? Is something that's come up a few times. I think Paco Hemeth was kind of making his point there that he wants people to, to take Ibiza seriously. And I think based on what they've done this season, they could be. I mean, maybe two, three years' time, we're here talking about Ibiza in, in Primera or pushing to come up to Primera. And I'll certainly be one of the first people to sign up for that away day trip to <laughs> the Liga Lowdown squad to Ibiza. But let's wrap it up there. Um, so let's play this out with the sound of those Oviedo fans in the square in Oviedo. Obviously, none of them were able to get away tickets because there were no away tickets for the derby because of some, some altercations in previous games. So they all watched on a big screen in Oviedo. And let's just take a look forward to the next week ahead as well. We've got a midweek match day round. So we will be back on Thursday night, Friday, with a new podcast, which you'll be able to tune into and find out everything that's happened. And then next weekend, there are only two fixtures involving Spanish top flight teams, but one of them is the Copa del Rey final on Saturday. Only a few days to go, and we still don't know a kickoff time yet, which is peak pure Spanish football. <laughs> but we will find that out at some point, and we will be letting you know. And we'll also have all the build-up to that Copa del Rey final between Betis and Valencia on our Twitter and on our website through the week. So make sure you stay tuned there. Rory, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure as always, Sam. And keep an eye out for all the content coming out this week. And we will be back in your ears and on your screens very soon. Thanks for listening.